Hey, beer nerds, and welcome to the podcast. Today is Thursday, April 28th, 2016. Uh, this is episode 9 of the Building Breweries podcast. Nine breweries down, many more to go. Uh, before we get started, as always, I'd like to, to thank everybody for for sharing and listening and, and reviewing and rating and all of those things that's necessary for, uh, for me to look good. So thank you very much. Uh, if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to reach out to me at MolarMD for my Twitter. Uh, or if you, uh, if you think you, you know a brewery or maybe you, you are a brewery with an interesting uh, origin story or some kind of employee culture, something that makes you uni- unique, uh, please reach out. I'd be happy to learn more about you and do some research and, and maybe uh, share your story. All right, now we're going to head up the road to Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm joined by both Clay Robinson and Dave Colt, co-founders of Sun King Brewing Company. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Hey, doing well. What What are y'all doing uh, right now? Having a beer. Yeah. Having a of beer. Of course. What else? Ah, yeah. What are you drinking? All right. All right. All right. <laughs> that's literally it's our new uh, Imperial Session. Yes. Imperial Session Rye IPA. Double. IPA, Ooh. you know, all of the catchphrases, yes. all of the fancy catchphrases, the words that make the kids go crazy, but essentially it's a, it's a really crisp, delicious uh, run IPA, and it, uh, you know, it's 420 today, so it, it's uh, named after that Matthew McConaughey quote in the old movie Days and Confused. So. All right, all right, all right. Cool. Oh, right. Exactly. Got it. Yep. It also features a, uh, a crystal hop that was uh, grown in uh, northern Michigan by Empire Hops. Hey, so this is the first time I've, I've had uh, more than one guest on at one time, so this this has the potential to be really fun. Um, it's, it sounds like you all have kind of known each other for a while now. How did you all meet? Uh, so a long time ago, uh, back in, uh, in the last century, uh, 1997, uh, my partner <laughs> Dave here was the, the uh, bar manager and eventually the assistant brewer uh, of a little brew pub called Circle B on the north side of town. And I was uh, just out of college, and uh, I fell in love with craft beer in college, working at a little English pub, and I was looking for local breweries to sell me kegs for parties I would have. Uh, and actually, I'd go to fish shows to vend, uh, I'd buy a keg, go to fish shows, sling beer in the afternoon, and pay for my pay for my journey. So uh, I would actually go pick up kegs, and Dave was the bar manager, so he'd fill out the keg paperwork and help me load kegs into my uh, my Volkswagen West Volume van. Uh, I, I at least was a bit of a hippie. I'm, I'm now a reluctant businessman, but uh, but yeah. So we met we met all those years ago loading kegs into the car, and then later uh, I when I became a professional brewer, and David moved on to another brewery. Uh, we we got together on a Friday afternoon uh, when his brewery down the street was opening up, and uh, started talking. It's like, hey, I don't I know you? Yeah, okay, hey, so. So yeah, we've uh, we've been fast friends for uh, almost twenty years now. When when did you first have like a, a semi serious conversation about maybe opening your own brewery? Mm, that's a good question. I would say probably uh, two thousand and five. Yeah, we uh, we ended up working together in two thousand and five at a brew pub in downtown Indianapolis, and uh, it was probably at the end of our first or second week working together, and it was over a beer after work one day. And uh, I don't know which one of us poised the question, but the question just came out, and it was, what would you do if you could open your own brewery? 
Yeah, and it just ha- it, what started as a pretty casual conversation turned into something a little bit more serious once you realized that you might be able to get some uh, get some ground underneath it. Yeah, it was a three year conversation. Yeah. So <laughs> sure, yeah, good point. Yeah. So. All right. Well, at, in those conversations, in those early conversations, did you ever talk about moving outside of the state of Indiana, or was being in the state always important to you? Being in the state was always important to us. Um, the first thing that we wanted to do was care about our backyard and care about Indianapolis because it seemed uh, to us, you know, there are lots of fun breweries that were in Indiana at the time, but we never got any of their fun, weird, experimental stuff. And then other breweries, we were a flyover state, so people wouldn't come to us, right? Sure. And so we're like, you know, there's an awesome beer culture here. There are people who drink beer and the brew pubs that we've worked at for, uh, for me, over 20 years now, you know, by a couple months. But uh, so we said, why not us and why not them? Mm-hmm. And since then, you've, you've kind of fluctuated a little bit. For, for, a while there, for a while there, you were just in like central Indiana by Indianapolis, and then you moved up north and south, and then you moved back to just solely central Indiana, and now you're just back to all over the state again. Why, why so many different changes, and do you, do you feel like it's working best for you right now? Uh, so, I mean, that, that actually is all uh, out of absolute necessity. So when we started the brewery and, uh, and, and set out, our initial goal was to produce 5,000 barrels by year five. Um, and we really, our business plan said we wanted to be Indianapolis Brewery. Indianapolis has a 2.1 million metropolitan population. There were a lot of brew clubs, but nobody was actually making local beer and distributing it to bars and restaurants. That was kind of the hole in the market that we saw and and started to work for. So originally, we really just wanted to sell beer in central Indiana. Um, As we grew, um, actually our first year, 2009, we did 500 barrels. And on our first anniversary in 2010, we were actually selling beer at the rate of 5,000 barrels a year. And we're like, holy shit, we just... Uh, we just accomplished our five-year goal inside of one year, so, you know, what do we do? And a lot of the rest of it has been, uh, as much as anything, it's been a response to demand. We, you know, have grown as people have wanted more and more beer. We've added tanks. Uh, we've continued to expand, and every time we make more beer, the people uh, close to home drink it up. And so uh, back in 2011, uh yeah, maybe 12, so somewhere somewhere three or four years ago, uh, we kind of hit a point where we thought we had some excess capacity, and uh, we thought, you know what, we're, we're going to expand outside of Indianapolis, and let's dip our toe in the water and see what the appetite for Sun King is in the rest of the state, and uh, that went reasonably well, and at the same time, things went really well at home, and uh, we hit a point uh, where we started calculating at the end of 2014, we were calculating what our sales were going to be in 2015. We realized that if we kept our distributors on board um, and we continued to grow at the rate that we were close to home, we would run afoul of our state law and we would violate our license, which would cause us to have to close our tasting room and it would eliminate our ability to self-distribute any beer whatsoever. And so we made a tough decision to say, you know what, we, we need the laws changed and we're going to work towards that, but um, we, we can't sell beer in the rest of the state unless the law changes, and if they don't change the law, then we were pretty much set to where we would sell all the beer that we could make within a 50 to 70 mile radius of our brewery. 
Yeah, well, speaking of, you know, change, changing the law a little bit, I mean, you had an initiative with uh, Three Floyds, um, Support Indiana Brewers. Can you tell us a little about what laws have changed since you uh, kind of teamed up with them and who else might be involved? So, uh, I'm on the board of the Brewers of Indiana Guild, um, and I've been involved with that for years. Um, you know, one of the things about Indiana is there's a lot of very small breweries and only uh, maybe three uh, larger breweries. So, uh, Three Floyd, Sun King, and Upland are the three largest breweries in the state. Um, and David, I've had a relationship with uh, Nick Floyd and, and, and Barnaby and Chris Bogus and a number of folks up at Three Floyds for years. So, we actually were kind of hitting similar walls as Three Floyds at the same time. So, back in 20. Uh, maybe 2011, we changed the first law, which we helped, we, we banded together with three Floyds, um, and then worked with the Brewers Guild in conjunction to change the barrelage limit from 20,000 to 30,000. And then a couple years later, three Floyds was up against it again, so we worked with them, uh, and the Guild to get any beer sold out of state to not count against your self or your distribution or production limit in state. And then we ran up against it again, and so, Three Floyds jumped back in with us, and you know, as the two largest breweries in the state, our our needs are more aligned than the other 120 breweries in the state. And um, you know, it's a, it's kind of a weird thing. You got a lot of small breweries, you got a couple big breweries. So you know, we had to work together with Three Floyds, and we put in a lot of money between the two of us as breweries to actually pay for the lobbying and the public relations, public action campaign, and all the things around it. Uh, especially last year, in order to take the production limit from 30,000 uh, and bump it up to 90,000, uh, which would allow us to continue to grow. So. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any laws that, um, you know, are still kind of, are there any other laws that are still kind of pesky like that? Uh, God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've done a fair amount of lobbying and I've been to the State House. We've got some good people and some great advocates for craft beer over at the State House. and been great to work with, but, you know, the last legislative session, I kind of broke down in a, in, in, a, in a legislative hearing, and I was like, you know, they were like, well, if we change this law, what's to stop you from coming back? And I'm like, I, I, we may have to come back, but if we come back, it's because our business is growing. And I, I literally, I said, honestly, I don't want to be here right now. I have my partner and the rest of our people back at the brewery making beer. I've got some appointments this afternoon. We've got suppliers coming in to visit us got a business to run and if you want to change the laws and allow us to make more beer then we'll make more beer and we'll hire more people and we'll pay more taxes and we'll invest more in the economy and if you tell us that the rules are such and you're not changing the law then we won't grow we won't hire more people we'll settle in and we'll do what it is that we do and we'll sell beer in central indiana and that'll be the end of it and we're fortunate i think that they that they changed the laws although it creates a whole lot more work so oh man uh, well, speaking of you know re recent changes and everything, um, I guess there was some news just uh, just recently with you all. Um, Omar Clay's father he just recently retired. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. What well, what was his role, and can you tell me a little bit more about him? Well, I'm going to let Clay speak to that because it is his father after all. But uh, more more importantly, uh, Omar was our business mentor. So Clay and I knew a whole lot about the beer, production of beer, and, and how to do that logistics and all that kind of good stuff. But what we didn't know is all the other pieces, parts, um, cash flow analysis, and all that kind of good stuff to keep a business rolling along. So uh, Clay pulled his dad out of retirement <laughs> to be 
sort of our business guru in the background. We'd like to call it our gray hair and experience. This is also very true. Um, to to kind of help us along with, uh, you know, along that path of being business owners. Okay. So, uh, you know, when when, uh, when Dave and I were talking about starting Sun King, um, I took us. I took a summer trip. My parents, when they were retired, they were uh, traveling the motor, traveling country in a motorhome for six months a year, and then they spent the other six months in Arizona. And uh, they were in Washington and Oregon for a summer, and uh, I took a vacation for a week and went out to Bend, Oregon, and hung out, and we visited breweries, and my dad got caught by the bug of breweries, and he would call me, and he's like, oh, I'm at Rogue, and I'm having this, and I'm here, and I'm having that, and you'd never believe what this place is like, and the culture of craft beer out here, and you know, my mind is totally blown, so he really, by being on the West Coast and in the Northwest, saw what was possible for craft beer. And so when I was out in Oregon, I was like, well, Dave and I are talking about this concept, and this is what we want to do, and, you know, I'd love to have you uh, at least give me some advice and mentor mentor us. So he'd always been a mentor me, uh, to me in a lot of ways. And, you know, uh, he was your father. Yeah, yeah, he was still his father. Yeah. He's still his father, yes. So he hasn't disowned me yet. Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, we kind of started talking about it, and he came in and started mentoring us, and it was one of those things that, you know, we knew we needed somebody who uh, who knew a lot about business, and honestly, I mean, Dave and I knew a lot about beer, but we weren't sure that people were going to trust us with the money uh, that it would take to run a brewery and because we, we had no experience. So pulled him out of retirement, and he said he'd be around for at least five years. Uh, we'll be seven this year, which means that he's been involved for at least eight years in the kind of conversation about making it work. And at 78, my mom wanted to spend more time traveling. And uh, a few years back, we kind of started talking about the possibility of, an, of, a, of a role change and a leadership change and what we would do. Because technically, if you let my dad work, he would work until he's 90. Sure. Um, he, was like, he was like, I don't care, I'll work until I'm 90. And we're like, yeah, so we, we totally get that. But, you know, I'm also your son and I have a mother and she wants to travel and get my stuff. <laughs> And, you know, you you working all the time doesn't benefit her. And so, you know, it was one of those things that it, it was a quality of life decision for my parents. And uh, and Bob Witt, who is our new president, uh, has become a friend of, of Dave and mine and Omar's and everyone, actually, who runs Sun King. And I worked with him on a, on a board for a nonprofit that I'm on. I was impressed with his overall kind of gusto attitude and, and lust for uh, all things local. Um, and he was really jived with our culture and loved the things that Dave and I have built with our staff and, and the thing that we've created at Sun King. And so it just kind of over a period of time and conversation became a really nice fit and all rolled together and put us where we are. I'd have to say, Mike, have you ever been on a three-year job interview? Because that's, that's pretty much what, uh, what he went through that to kind awful. of, you know, well, not really, because there's beer involved. And speaking oh, of beer, yeah. we're having one. Do you have one yet? I, I don't have one yet. I, I haven't oh, had, I haven't had a chance. Oh, for shame. some form of personal assistant who can get you a beer? <laughs> I don't, no. I, I live alone. So. Neither do we. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have to travel. I, I'm in Louisville, if you didn't know. So I'll, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. So I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I'll just yeah, and, and I work in Indiana anyway, so I can just go to uh, a Kroger. And actually, you're on grocery shelves now, aren't you? No, we are not. Not yet? No. Not yet. No, last year we produced and distributed nearly 30,000 barrels of beer within a 50 to 70 mile radius of the brewery 
um, and almost all of it was self-distributed and uh, not an ounce of it went on warm shelf in grocery because Indiana is still the oh, yeah. state in the union that regulates beer based on temperature. It, man, that, that, what that, that law really frustrates me so much. Uh, just the fact that you know you can go to a grocery store and get liquor, wine, or beer, uh, it's all warm, and then you go over to Kentucky and there's you know beer caves in the in, in gas stations and yeah, it's just... I, I would say I would offer this. I mean, we have a little bit more intimate knowledge, having to change laws on what the mentality is. But I would say the people in Michigan and Kentucky and Illinois and Ohio, um, you know. They don't seem to be damned to hell because there's cold beer that they can buy in a grocery store on a Sunday. Or children can be in a bar-type setting. So, yeah. you know, for whatever reason, we're God's children, chosen few, I guess. And yeah. We're re- relegated to that sort of thing. Yeah, we have we have some kind of restrictive laws. And actually, uh, you know, the, uh, to the grocery store point, you know, it's one of those things. We know that laws are hard to change and that that law isn't changing. So... We've actually, uh, our production team has been working on our beers. We've implemented a new centrifuge, a brand new canning line. We've got a lab that has a gas chromatograph and a spectrophotometer and two, like, fully-fledged science guys with degrees. And we've been working on dialing in all of our beers so that actually this fall, for the first time, we're going to be launching Sunlight and Mac on grocery store shelves uh, throughout Indiana. So we're, we're about to go there, but it's taken a lot of time because we wanted to make sure that you know, if we put beer out on a warm shelf and it sat there for 90 days, that it was going to taste just as delicious as if you bought a beer that had been sitting cool in a liquor store for that same period of time. So, yeah. taking a lot of a lot of effort, blood, sweat, and tears. I, I don't blame you. I uh, very, 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 very briefly uh, worked in wholesaling, and the amount of expired beer on shelves sometimes was just embarrassing, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. I I appreciate your your thoughtfulness and you know trying to get the beer ready for warm shelves if it has to be on one. Yeah, we we talk about it a lot because obviously there's a craft beer boom going on in America. Uh, you might have noticed. <laughs> and, uh, but but we see a lot of new breweries start up and they've been in existence for four months and their beers sitting out warm on a grocery store shelf and we've done extensive shelf testing. We know what happens to beer when it sits warm and it opens it up to a whole lot more microbial issues and you know we've always wondered why why new breweries and i get it you want to sell beer but why they're in this kind of lust for getting beer out onto shelves especially you know we've been cold chain only for seven years before we ever once hit a grocery shelf and we weren't willing to do it until we knew that we could guarantee that our quality was good because the last thing we ever want anyone to do is have a bad beer from us Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely some quality control going on. Um, I meant I meant to ask this way earlier, actually. But uh, why, why Sun King? Are, are you all fans of like Louis the Fourteenth? What, what's going on? Well, it's like the third time we've had that question today. So it's popular. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, one of the things that we enjoy as brewers and then also owners of a brewery is the ability to make you know fun seasonal beers, and that was one of the tenets that we founded Sun King on. We wanted core beers that you could count on day after day. Uh, but we also wanted to play and have, have a good time. So, you know, seasonality is important. So what, you know, expresses seasonality in a name? How do you encapsulate that? So while Clay and I were uh, brewing at a different group up uh, together during the formulation period of Sun King, um, you know, I said seasonality, 
what is that and what's germane to our existence on this planet? Hmm. Our proximity to the sun. So the sun is king. And I went, hey, sun king, I like that. <laughs> and Clay said, that's a great name for a brewery if you're in Southern California, Phoenix, Arizona, or Denver, Colorado, somewhere where the sun shines all the time. Oof. <laughs> yeah. But and so I grabbed so I grabbed him by the arm and I drug him to the closest window and I pointed to a giant fiery ball in the sky and I said, hey, what's that? And he said, well, it's the sun, Dave, and you're an asshole. <laughs> there, there is that. Those are both true. This is true. I'm, I have a smart ass. So, uh, so after further discussion and some consultation with uh, some free consultation and advice, I'm Clay's sister who uh, runs a PR uh, company in Denver. Uh, she thought that the name was pretty great. And so we came back and discussed it a little bit more. But the most important thing that happened that convinced us that the name was good was, drumroll, yeah. We used the Google machine and no one had ever oh. started a hunting brewery, owned the web domains, and through the USPTO, no one had ever trademarked it before. So everything about King was legally available for us to gobble up and own the intellectual property rights. Oh man, that that's so big. I, I get so many ideas sometimes and I Google the name and all of a sudden, oh, somebody's already used it. So and you're like, oh man, so I just let it die. Idea. <laughs> we do it with beer names all the time. We Google every beer name. We hit Rate Beer and Beer Advocate, and we Google it, and we look, and you know, it's down to, to the point where it doesn't matter if it's a, a random brewery in West Texas that made a beer one time that will never get to where we're at. If somebody else did it, then we need to come up with a, a better, new, more creative idea because we don't want to find other people's shit or copy or end up eventually. I mean, we've been on both sides of the trademark disputes. We've had to defend our intellectual property rights, and we have been cease and desisted by a number of breweries for things over time that may or may not have had some confusion, but some of them are very large international conglomerates and have some serious lawyers that can hold up the rest of your trademarks that you have in process. So, <laughs> so just back, back not, away. Yeah, they may or may not be breweries that started St. Louis at all. Ooh, no, just, yeah, okay, I got you. Um, okay, so assuming there aren't any problems, and, that, and that's a good question, I guess. Assuming there aren't any problems um, with the name or anything like that, from concept of the name to um, things like labeling, how long does that process usually take? Hmm. It, it, it depends. I mean, a lot of our beers are draft-only beers that we do uh, that go in our pubs and tasting rooms. So we have a new small batch brewery on the north side of town that's a three-barrel brew system with seven-barrel fermenters, and we're doing, starting to do more small-batch stuff, and those are actually just names. They're by number, the style of beer, and occasionally they'll have a name, but no real artwork for those. Okay. The things that we've done to date, we've done over 300 beers from Sun King proper in downtown Indianapolis, and you know some of those, uh, it takes about as much time as uh, we brewed the beer because it's an idea someone had and it's in a tank and it's going to get released in three weeks. So inside of three weeks, we need a name, we need artwork, we need everything about it, tap stickers, everything to go to market with it. So like things like, all right, all right, all right, we, uh, we made, put it in our tasting room, people loved it. And we realized that we've got kind of a hole in our lineup and that we had, we had a space for a can release. And so that beer went from a beer that we kind of named and made in a, over the course of three or four weeks to another three or four weeks where like, we need 
can ready, artwork for shrink sleeves, and we need cans on order, and we need you know packaging and all of the things. So it can be anywhere from three weeks to two months, but we Does, generally work pretty fast because we have an in-house art department. Oh, that, that's helpful. Does the beer always come before the name then, or do you ever just like think of nope. a random name and think, oh, that sounds yep. good for beer? It's got an incredible list of names on his phone just waiting for beers to come along that fit them. Ah, I like it. Uh, I've got about, I don't know, 200 different beer names. Uh, some of them I think are amazing. Some of them are an idea of something that morphs into something else. Uh, I, I, the greatest example of a name that came first before the beer uh, was a, a beer, well, we do it now almost annually. It's called Velvet Fog. Hmm. So if it's, it's a Belgian quad. And I was vacuuming in our mill area, and the brewer's uh, stereo system had, um, you know, some, like, Biggie Smalls or something going on. And normally I like Biggie and, and you know, some old-school rap or, as the kids say, hip-hop. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't into that at that moment. It wasn't driving with the vacuuming. And so I started to kind of do some scatting in my head. And I went, ooh, Mel Torme, the Velvet Fog. And I went, oh my God, I think that's an awesome beer name. And so I reverse engineered the beer based on the name uh, and came up with, you know, this uh, Belgian quad league thing that had, um, you know, the, like this aged crushed red velvet color to it. And we used a seven different, uh, seven different uh, Belgian ale strains in it to give it complexity, deep complexity and nuance. Uh, we aged the beer for a year and a half, uh, you know, part of it in wood to give it, you know, just an authentic uh, tannic character from that standpoint to counterbalance, uh, you know, the intense malt uh, sweetness and the esters from, you know, from the Belgian yeast strain. So it has like a little hint of cherry and with, you know, uh, some neutral barrels, a bit of, uh, you know, a nice cedar, deep cedar note from aged barrels and all that kind of stuff. I know you've done some uh, different uh, collaboration projects before with different breweries, like Three Floyds and Rheingeist. And actually, I just I did I did Rheingeist for my second episode. You should listen to that sometime. Um, who gets to name those collaboration projects? Who gets bragging rights? It's a collaboration, don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Usually, so, what, I mean, you, you picked fifty percent. Yeah, a lot of our names come out of random conversations about things. So. You know, when we do collaborations, we'll enter into a bit of a back and forth. Uh, the latest collaboration we just uh, launched in D.C. last weekend with D.C. Brow, and it's called Ripa the Dippa. So it's a rye IPA and it's a double IPA, and we were going back and forth about what style of beer we wanted to do, and Dave chimed in on this email, and he's like, why don't we do a rye IPA that's a double IPA? We'll call it Ripa the Dippa. <laughs> and they just kind of, they literally came back with that, like, ha, that's fucking hilarious. Yeah, let's do it. So, you know, uh, to the Ryan Geist one, you know, we, we were kicking back a few names here and there. And then, you know, I thought, what well, we're traveling between breweries to do this and, and all that kind of good stuff. And one might get thirsty. And as one gets thirsty along their journey, you know, they might need something in a hurry, let's yeah. say an emergency. Mm-hmm. And so it's a hoppy beer. And I went, hmm. Emergency hop kit, that sounds pretty cool. And then they're like, love it, here's what the artwork wants to be like. And so 
you know, it just kind of goes. Ah, I love yeah. it. All right, guys. I know you're. I know you must be pretty busy here with your with your uh, current uh, beer session. But before I let you go, uh, got a couple more questions for you. Um, do you have anything going on? Let's say uh, either your your downtown facility, I guess, in the next couple months. Any uh, events? Oh yeah, events wise. Events, festivals, uh, anything. Yeah, we actually uh, on June twenty fifth we have our seventh anniversary party at the brewery, which is the. Uh, the release of our most anticipated seasonal beer of the year, Grapefruit Jungle, which is a, which is an IPA. It is not a fruited IPA. We made it with specific hops. It's another Dave Colt uh, brainchild where it's uh, three specific hops that give all of the flavor of grapefruit without ever harming a grapefruit. Mm. So technically in the can we call it GFJ because the federal government wouldn't allow us to call it Grapefruit Jungle. Yeah there was no grapefruit in it. Oh. Uh, so GFJ release day, we got rock and roll bands, food trucks, and uh, and a whole lot of fun. And then uh, we, we only do a couple of real signature events. And then uh, on September 10th this year, at the very end of summer, we've got our Cavitational, which is uh, 50 plus craft breweries from around the country who can, and our friends of ours, that is an idea that Dave and I had of like, hey, how do we get these brewers from other parts of the country to come to Indianapolis? Well, we throw a beer festival, we put them up in a hotel room, and we have them come and, and serve their wares and showcase their beers. We have uh, two breweries from England, or at least yeah. one brewery from England this year, Yeah, which has come back before. Uh, Beavertown. So we're, we're yet to know whether Camden Town will come back because they're now owned by the ABI network. Uh, uh, but they're probably trying to increase their distribution, so who knows. <laughs> Well, guys, I really do appreciate your time. You all were, uh, have been a blast. I need to get uh, dual guests on more often. It's, it's been really fun. So thank you very much, and uh, have, a, have a good week. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Mike. We've come a long way together Through the hard times and the good I have to celebrate you